Hey there, this is Tammy File, and I'm so glad that you could join us today. We want you to know that whatever you're facing, we are here praying for you. And we pray that you're able to experience the presence of the Lord in your circumstances and that you will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you matter to God. Hello, ladies. I'm so glad to be with you guys, and I'm so glad you came back. It's good to see you guys. Y'all are my small group. Um, want to say hello not only to the ladies who are here with us in this room, which are wonderful, wonderful ladies, but I also want to say hello to those who are not able to be with us here in this room, who are listening online or by CD, and we get to come to you. So those of you who are not with us, we kind of come into your house with you, and I hope you're okay with that. We're glad to have you with us as well. And so we begin tonight, I hope that this week has been a good week for you guys. Hope that um, the Lord is speaking to you in very personal and beautiful ways. Um, I want to tell you, I, um, I think of it very interesting that we are able to do this study together. So many of us gathered here together, and then um, just a, a actual good number of women online who are able to join us. And um, God kind of tapped me on the shoulder and reminded me that about this time last year, he was giving me some passions, but I had no idea that he was going to go anywhere with them, at least nothing like this. But one of them was for biblical literacy, meaning... Um, there's so much wonderful material in the Bible. And I feel like we don't know, as Christians, it feels like we don't know where to go to find things sometimes, I think. And I just really had a passion to help walk some people through Scripture. I had an opportunity to do that with a a group of ladies in 2008. And um, all four of them, that's how many of us there were, but plus me, um, who stayed, um, are taking this study with you guys again. And so they kind of had a very skeletal version of this, really just the backbone of this. But um, just wanting to kind of, you know, help people know that. And then the other thing was that I just thought that that would kind of happen with a small group. I just wanted to, you know, help some people grow in their relationship with God and make it real. Like not just do the church thing, but like really make it real. And um, I thought it would happen in a small group. And turns out that you guys are that small group. And um, the other passion he gave me that actually that the phrase he kept putting before me was for us to go where they are. And he wasn't sending me to the mission field. He kept putting this picture before me of um, kind of an online situation. I didn't know what that looked like, but I've been just really intrigued by the way Facebook has connected many of us and um, just just felt him saying there should be an online component to some of this where the ones who can't come to us, we can come to them. Well, ladies, I never in a million years did I think this was where he was going to put all those things together, but apparently he knew. And so those of you who are here with us and those of you who are not, um, he's obviously been planning this longer than that, but um, this is kind of where he led. So especially all of those of you who can't be here with us physically, we're just so glad that you're here with us too. Turn in your Bible with me, please, to 2 Samuel chapter 9. That's the Old Testament 
just a few books in from the beginning. Second Samuel chapter 9. There's two different books of Samuel, 1 Samuel and then 2 Samuel. Second Samuel chapter 9. We're not going to be turning to other scriptures tonight, so you can kind of hang out with this. But we are going to look at a number of other scriptures, but they are going to be on PowerPoint for you, and you will take the references home with you. I'm going to tell you up front that there are a number of scriptures we're going to look at because the Holy Spirit was still developing all this with me. Um, so there'll be some scriptures we look at that are not on your outline. However, hear me saying, everybody's attention here, we have another handout for you that will, when you get in your small group, they'll go home with you. And it has all of these references on it, okay? So I promise you, you can go back and look them up yourself. The translation I primarily use in teaching is New Living Translation, in case some of you are wondering about that. Um, it is remarkably accurate when you're looking at Greek and Hebrew text. Many of their words um, translate better into phrases, honestly, than single words. And so that's what the difference in some of the translations are. New Living captures the picture that really in the original language, many times they understood that we did not. And as the study evolves, I'll explain more of that to you because I want you to see the picture they did to the best of our ability. So you will have those scriptures, but when you look at them in your Bible, if they're not New Living and it reads slightly differently, um, it's it, it, you'll understand why. But you 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 know, please check that out for yourself. Um, tonight's lesson, we're going to be talking about King David. If you grew up in church, you know that. If you did not grow up in church, you don't know that. And so we're not going to take for granted. So if you do know, I'm not you know, talking down. But if you don't know, I want you to have a sense of things. We're in Genesis and some of our studies together. But long after that, after Abraham and God had done some things, and you're coming soon to that in your studies, um, and after the people had been in Israel, uh, in Egypt as slaves, and they had come out, after a certain measure of time, the people wanted a king. There was a first King Saul and a second King David. So where we will be today is studying something that occurred in King David's life. He's the second king, and that's where we're going to begin our lesson. But before we do that, I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we have gathered to hear from you. I'm asking you to come and inhabit this word in ways we cannot understand God, that you come and teach. You, t you tell us that Jesus Christ is the Word made flesh. And somehow, I think every time we read the Scripture, somehow that is Christ speaking to us. I don't understand all of it, but I do know that you tell us that the Word has supernatural powers. It has the ability to cut between bone and marrow, between soul and spirit. And Father God, it is living and active. And so right now we invite you to come and inhabit this word and bring it to life for us, God. Make it active in this room and in our hearts. God, shake us up if that's what we need. But I just know there's a lot of women here who are carrying heavy burdens tonight, Father, and I bring them especially before you and say, would you please help them to know that for just a few minutes, you will carry that burden without them so that they can just sit at your feet and be ministered to tenderly, that you can bathe their feet, their dusty, tired, aching feet in the living water, Father, and replenish and refresh their soul. 
Come and do that, God. Do what you want to move everything else out of the way. I surrender myself entirely to you, God. Come and do your thing. In Jesus' name, amen. Beginning reading in chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul, that was the first king, to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Jonathan was his son, and David was very good friends with him. Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They called him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? Your servant, he replied. The king answered, is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel and Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Machir, son of Samuel. Daniel, sorry. And we're going to pause there for just a minute and say, what in the world is happening here? Jonathan um, and David were very good friends, were really just incredibly good friends. Jonathan had a son, and um, typically when a, a new king takes over, they annihilate the previous king's family so that they don't have to deal with uprisings later. But da- jo- David did not do that. Jonathan had asked him to make a covenant with him, and, and David had done that willingly. He made a covenant with Jonathan saying, I will show kindness to your family, and I will not kill any of them. For as long as I live, your family will be protected under my reign. He did that because he loved Jonathan, and Jonathan asked it of him. And so out of that, we see this um, situation where David is wanting to make good on that. There's another verse that I don't want you to turn to, but we're going to see it on the screen, 2 Samuel chapter 4. It's just a couple of chapters beforehand. It tells us something important. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became crippled. His name was Mephibosheth. Thank you. Just thought about as we read there where it says that he was five years old. God is so into the details. You know, he tells your story and says when she was five years old and he knows what happened. Whenever your things came, whatever things that have broken you in life, in your book, It is written something like that. In Psalm 139, if you made it through your homework this week, we we began to read some of those things, and we're going to be visiting that throughout our study. But your God has your life written in a book, and it is important to him. All right, so now we're going to pick up where we left off with Mephibosheth. So verse 6 in the second Samuel chapter 9. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops 
so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table, and he was crippled in both feet. I'm pretty sure my own story has something similar to being crippled in both feet along the way. But I'm dancing now. Why, why, why are we looking at these stories in the Old Testament when we live in the New Testament, the New Covenant? The stories in the Old Testament, ladies, are the most wonderful illustrations of what we get to live out in the New Covenant. They were shadows of the thing back then. But stories bring things to life for us and help us understand the deeper truths of God. And this is one that I hope will become a favorite for you. Um, Mephibosheth, just because he was born into King Saul's family through Jonathan, he was automatically an enemy to David because he was a threat to his kingdom. Not just Jonathan, but Jonathan's children would be as well, because he could have a son who would want to take over the kingship. So by just virtue of that, Mephibosheth was supposed to be David's enemy. There's a verse in Colossians chapter 1 that I want us to look at, and it says this, God made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts, and actions. Mephibosheth was David's enemy by virtue of his bloodline. We are God's enemy by virtue of our bloodline. That's the first point on your outline. We are God's enemy by virtue of bloodline. You were born with a sin nature, and that makes you automatically an enemy to God's life. But the good news is he doesn't want to leave you there. And he hasn't. If you're a believer, you are no longer God's enemy. Some of us feel like we're just on neutral ground with God. We'd feel good about just being on neutral ground, but you're not. You're not an enemy and you're not on neutral ground. And we're going to spend time with that tonight. Mephibosheth was crippled in both feet. He had nothing to offer David. Why would David want his company? He's just being kind to Jonathan, but he doesn't just show kindness. He brings him into his family, but he's lame. He had to be carried everywhere he went. That's a, a lot came with Mr. Mephibosheth. But just like Mephibosheth was crippled in both feet and had nothing to offer God, number two on your outline, we are crippled by sin. And we have nothing to offer God that he did not give us. You have nothing to offer him back that he did not give you except a willing heart, which we visited with last week. So while you were crippled by sin, you have nothing to offer that he did not give you. And there should be a big except there, except your willingness. Your choice is what God gives you to give back to him. David's kindness to Mephibosheth was based on David's covenant with Jonathan. He did this because he loved Jonathan, not because Mephibosheth had earned it 
and not because he was worthy of it. He did it strictly because of his love with Jonathan. The next point on your outline, God's kindness to us is based on God's covenant with us through Jesus Christ. God wanted to do that for us. Listen, you need to understand this. He always knew what life was going to be like for us. Matter of fact, there's a verse in Ephesians that that says this very clearly for us. Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave him great pleasure. Before sin entered our world, God always planned to send Jesus to take care of that issue. Before the first sin was committed, before he breathed this world into existence, he was preparing to make us not his enemy, and not only that, to bring us into his family. He's not just being kind and letting us exist. God does tremendous things for us. Tonight, I want to um, explain a little bit about what happened to you at salvation that I did not really understand for, for most of my Christian walk and in recent years have been able to live better in this. But God's been lately taking what I understood to be a concept and a principle, and it is taught here, so you will have heard this, but he began to give me a picture based on all these different scriptures. And so tonight, we're just going to kind of move through some of that and see what you think about that, um, see what the picture does for you. So when we think about what God has done for us, we start at the place, and this will be on the outline you don't have yet, okay? So bear with me, but we're going to have it on PowerPoint in just a minute. But um, when you start out, There is no, uh, you are not saved. So you are without God. And so what state are we in in that? Romans 5.12 tells us that when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. And Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. So everyone received death through what Adam did. Colossians 2.13 says, you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. So the first picture I want you to see is what you look like right before salvation. You are the pink ring. Really, you're kind of all of that. But you see the hole in the middle is emptiness. That is before the Holy Spirit would have come in. That is the part where scripture says you were dead unto sin. That is what it looked like. But God doesn't leave it there. Second Corinthians 5.21, he says, God made him, that's speaking of Jesus Christ, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Your unrighteousness was traded on Calvary for Christ's righteousness. The next verse we look at, Romans chapter 8, verses 10 and 11, and Christ lives within you so that even through your body, even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. 
The Spirit of God, so what we're focusing on here is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Also in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 28, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. In case you wonder what in the world the Holy Spirit is there for, for example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And pause right there. Your God is praying for you. The Holy Spirit that lives inside you knows what God's will for your life is. And he is working inside of you to bring you into that as well as to cooperate with God to get it done. The entire Trinity is working on your behalf. What happens when this happens? The last verse there, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. The Holy Spirit is doing major work in you while God is also doing work. So the next picture we want to look at is what does it look like? Here is us when we're salvation. There's the spirit inside where there was emptiness. So the first picture was emptiness. We see ourselves and then we see the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't stop there either. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3 says, For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Here's what I want you to be looking at in these verses is, we're in Christ. We are in Christ. The next verse is Colossians 1, 22 and 23. Yet now God has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. Listen, when Paul is writing, it's a little bit of a trick to figure out which he is he referring to, but he is referring to God the Father. If you get, if you begin to look for this, Paul is mostly talking about God the Father when he says he, and then he's bringing Christ in as what Christ did to bring us to the Father. And the whole time Jesus was here, he kept pointing to the Father. He said, the whole reason I'm here is to bring you to the Father. And so that's what Paul is saying here. And so God has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before God, him, without a single fault. Why do you not have a fault anymore? Because it has been completely removed from you onto Christ, and you never have to wear it again. What about ongoing stuff? We will talk about that, and we will learn about that. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. Let me tell you what the enemy is going to say to you over and over is, yeah, but you and I know you blew it. You're not blameless, blameless. And you know what? He has most of us convinced that we should be ashamed of ourselves. We live in that so often. We don't have to because the good news of the Bible, listen, if we do not believe God's word, we have no business being here. You have to settle at some point in your life. I can't prove it, but I'm going to bank my whole life that it is true. Because here's what, if it's not true, we're all in a fairy tale land and none of it's going to work. And so I don't know what happens after we see you, you know, after you die. But here's what I'm believing. 
I'm believing it's true. And when I choose to believe it's true, then I get to take verses like this and say, well, Tammy, he's brought you into his presence. Do you know that you are in God's presence and that he considers you holy and blameless? Not because of what I do, but because of Christ. And so the um, next picture I want you to see is you are in Christ. So you see, there's the Holy Spirit, the yellow core. You're still pink, but you are in Christ. The reason you are holy and blameless is because you wear his righteousness. Now, let me say to you before we move on. For a long, long time, I lived the last picture. And I think most of us do. Where you go, okay, I know I got the Holy Spirit in there. It's just me and the Holy Spirit. I did not live in Christ. And that's wearing his identity. I did not. Here's what I did. When I began to learn that Christ's righteousness had been applied to me, here's what I think I did. I felt like I was just this dirty, awful, nasty mess. And that I just threw a big cloak over it all. And so as I moved through life, did you guys ever grow up with Charlie Brown and the peanut stuff? Are y'all old enough to? Good. Do you remember Pigpen? Do you remember his dust cloud followed him? If you don't know Pigpen, you got to do a search on Google. This is the great picture. I was Pigpen and my stuff followed me. So I couldn't, I couldn't fool Becky. My goodness. She's going to see my stuff is trailing me. So it didn't matter that I had Christ righteousness over me. I believed I was Pigpen, who was just getting into heaven by the skin of her teeth, even though I was doing my best to live God's life. But I'm not Pigpen anymore. I'm not perfect. I am not sinless, although I want to be. But I don't wear the shame and the stigma of who and what I have been. I choose to believe the scriptures in Christ. And the last thing I want you to see is John chapter 14, verse 20. On that day, this is Jesus Christ speaking in his last hours here on earth. We could camp in John 13 through 17 for a very long time, and we will visit scriptures there over and over and over again. But here's what he says. Jesus is speaking. On that day, you, my disciples, will realize I am in my Father. You are in me and I am in you. Well, his word is alive and active in them because they've been spending time with him, but he's getting ready to leave and he's going to send the Holy Spirit as well. Next diagram, please. This is who we are. God surrounds all of us. There's you in the pink circle. The Holy Spirit is inside you. You are in Christ. So you are literally his righteousness surrounds you. And Christ is in God. This is not the only scripture he says that in. Christ was in God. Ladies, this is not how I have lived my life. Believing I was completely surrounded inside and out with God's presence and Christ's righteousness. But this is the truth. This is how the spirit realm sees you. You are not the thing that looked like an egg yolk, the pink circle with the yellow middle. That's what we think we are. We are this. Nothing comes into your life that doesn't have to pass through God first. We will study scripture after scripture after scripture. If you need just a big theological thing, they talk about God's sovereignty. That what that means is he knew 
no, I'm sorry, omniscience is he knew everything. Sovereignty is he's all powerful. He knew everything. And somehow he had to have agreed with it for it to come in. That is not saying he authors it. But if he has let suffering into your life, and listen, you guys have whatever opinion about me. Many of you don't even know who I am. But I know suffering. I know it on a very deep, deep level. And I don't say anything to you in this study lightly. I promise you, I promise you that I do not. But whatever God has chosen to allow to happen to me, he intended to do something extraordinary with it. And honestly, what we are doing tonight is only a result of him bringing me through some terribly fiery furnaces and teaching me about himself in such a way that I could put it into some kind of words for you guys and that we could visit with him. He has faithfully taken my suffering and done extraordinary things with it. And he wants to do that in your life as well. Going back to our picture of Mephibosheth, there's a couple of points I just want you to see that's still in that picture. Just like you see in this picture, we are restored to so much more than we understand. Literally, if I could see myself in life always, I've seen it in theory, but if I could in practice, you know, like the Michelin man, does the Michelin man still around with all the tires around him? Be like the Michelin man. I got the Holy Spirit on the inside. I got Jesus Christ right here and got God on the outside. This is how we go through life. When we look at Mephibosheth, David restored the royal family's vast inheritance to Mephibosheth. Did you notice he doesn't just bring him to his table? He doesn't just say nice words to him. He gives him everything that his grandfather Saul had ever owned. And Saul was a wealthy man. David gave his own portion back to Mephibosheth. And the good news for us is this. God wants to restore to us what the enemy stole from us. We are so much Mephibosheth. The reason you're studying these stories is because I hope that you learn to identify with all of the characters. Listen, I can find something about just about every character because I've had my wickedness, I've had my thoughts, I've had all of those things. But I love Mephibosheth because he is a great picture of what I have been. David invited Mephibosheth to eat with him at his breakfast table. Listen, the picture I want you to understand here is this. In the royal palace, there would have been dining rooms that hosted, what, hundreds of people, perhaps long banquet halls. So when we picture uh, David bringing Mephibosheth, and you might picture that long banquet hall. But that's not what the scripture tells us. While it does not use the words breakfast table, that is a Tammy rendition. He says he ate with the king's sons. That's the breakfast table. The point is, he wasn't just an invited guest. He was family. He was treated. When David came out in his robe, not his royal robes, but the fuzzy robe he wore in the morning, Mephibosheth was at that table. That is where he was. And so the same thing is true for us. God wants us to feel welcome with him at his breakfast table. He wants you to know the sweetness of his fellowship. When you drag yourself to the table tomorrow morning or the bar or wherever you sit down and have your 
tea or coffee, your father is with you and you're invited into the sweetness of his fellowship. I've had a lot of foot problems in my life. I sprained ankles since I was a very little girl um, over and over and over, both ankles, not just one. They just turn over so easily. They just roll right over and I've done damage. And so over the years, um, I've just had countless walks where I'd just be walking along, literally step on a pebble or a small stick and my foot roll over. That's just the way it's gone over and over. But so a few years ago, my foot started hurting me really bad, my right foot. And some of you guys might remember that I walked around here with a walking boot on for I don't know how many months and I wasn't getting any better. But I didn't have insurance at the time. And so I kept putting it off and I did all my Google research. Y'all ever do that? Be your own doctor. Yeah. But I had I'd done some research and I had come up with the concept of tendonitis and stuff, but I just didn't know. And I thought I can't do physical rehab. And it seems like all they're saying is do the walking cast. And so I'd done that. And when Finally, everything was exhausted. I went to a podiatrist. And he said he knew right away what was going on my foot. He said, it is tendonitis, and I'm going to put you in a walking boot. But the problem was that I didn't have the right foundation underneath my foot. He needed me to wear orthotics. And so he sent me to have very expensive shoes made. And if you've seen me wear flip-flops, they, I got them in flip-flops because I don't want to wear sneakers every day, all day in my house. And so these flip-flops fit my personality, but they're orthotics. They were specially formed for my feet. And so I wear uh, high heels here on Sunday and sometimes on Thursday night, and I pay the price because of how much my feet hurt. And these shoes help my feet a good bit. But it was a foundations issue. And the truth is this, we will limp through life until we truly believe this foundational issue that God loves us and wants us. And we're crippled. We can't do anything to earn it. But he wants us, not just fixed up. He's going to do all that beautiful stuff. Well, how do, we, how do we do this? How do we move into that new place? Well, Mephibosheth had a choice. And here was Mephibosheth's choice. He had been hanging out in Lodabar. Do y'all remember that part of the text? He had to make a decision. When King David brought him in and said, this is what I want you to do, he had to decide if he was going to do it. Now, if I were him, I don't know, I don't know about y'all, but I just kind of always want to keep a low profile if I know somebody's my enemy. Don't y'all ever do that? You duck and run. And so, like, I wouldn't have wanted, you know, I'd be, I'm still afraid that Terry's going to wake up one morning and say, oh, Lord, what have I done by marrying this woman? I really do. And so I, I just, you know, imagine if I were Mephibosheth, I'd be, I'd be afraid to be at the breakfast table because you go look up one day and go, what was I thinking? Get out of here, you know? And so anyway, but he had to make a choice. Would he simply travel back and forth for special occasions? Or was he gonna leave his home in Lodabar? And he had a family because he had a son and come live in the presence of who he would have feared. Was he going to do it? You and I have the same choice before us. Mephibosheth chose to position himself with the king. A picture that I thought we could draw here tonight is this. You guys all, uh, if you come to this church, would know and love Pastor Kurt Bradford. He's our lead pastor here. And he's become a grandfather in the last number of years. And so we often get to hear about his grandchildren and, and has, it's just made him sweeter, hasn't it? He's just softened and just, you just, you just, 
just see him melt with when he talks about them. But so I was thinking about little Emma, the the little girl, the first, Emma was the first girl that came along. And But you think about this, Kurt Bradford remains lead pastor of River Bluff Church. He's also well known in the Southern Baptist Convention, known throughout the state and in, in the whole nation. He used to travel around the nation for Lifeway and other things. I mean, he is a very respected leader. But Emma does not come to Pastor Kurt. She comes to Papa. It doesn't matter what his position is. Her entrance into his presence is as granddaughter right to that lap, Papa. We have the same access. We can come to our Father God, welcome, invited, loved, just because we are. He dreamed you up and he wants that with you. So the question before you tonight is, are you going to show up? And I don't mean just do your Bible study. Here's what I mean. Will you, will you show up and and begin to see him in that tender way that says, I can trust you. I'm not in danger in your presence. Will you join God at his breakfast table of intimate fellowship? He's issuing you the invitation. You can choose to leave behind your definition as a crippled outcast. The enemy of God, too damaged to be loved and come instead into his presence. Romans 8 verses 15 and 16 tells us this. So you should not be like cowering, fearful slaves. This is how I lived most of my Christian walk. It's like a fearful, cowering slave. You should behave instead like God's very own children adopted into his very own family, calling him father, dear father, most of your translations will say Abba, Father, but that is a word we don't use as much um, outside of that. So it's really like Daddy or Papa. For His Holy Spirit speaks to us deep in our hearts and tells us that we are God's children. You are God's daughter, deeply loved. So my question for you tonight is, will you live as the beloved daughter of the King? Will you choose to leave behind the fearful person who tiptoes into God's presence and says, I don't want to bother you too much, but God, I just got this thing that I can't fix myself. Would you help me with it? Which is how I approached him for years. I know you're busy running the world. I just have this one little thing. I've taken care of everything else I can take care of. I'm desperate. Not anymore. Live moment by moment as the beloved daughter of the king. We're going to close tonight with another song that I hope just kind of brings to heart. The beginning of the song is where many of us have been, but it brings us to where we are and where we can live from tonight. When the song ends, you are dismissed into your small groups.